Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to Reconstructed Faith. This is your temporary host for today, Bryn Starnes. Wow. And I didn't know you were going to do the intro. I figured we'd <laughs> let Colson do that later. I mean, we can, but we're here. so That's right. And well, I'm it. here in studio with Chris Legg. So we right. we are going to do a review today of some of the interviews that have posted. And I was thinking about it. Whenever we say review, I kind of wanted to define what we mean. Because to me, sometimes I... When I hear review, I think of like a movie review. Oh, oh, like an evaluation. Evaluating or somehow a critic review of, and that's never our intention when we review interviews. Uh, Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) It's more of just, we want to go over either common threads that happen through them or things that we were really impacted by, things like that. I mean, if we have disagreements, but that happens rarely at this point, so... There's not going to be a ton probably with these. Yeah, but I thought I would mention that because sometimes that's how that's how review sounds to me. And I just wanted to clear up any misconceptions of what we're doing when we review interviews. That's very uh, compassionate of you to make sure to clarify that. Like, that's not... uh, I, I hope people would know that's not what we mean, but no, that's a, but if that's they a good haven't point. listened to us that's for true, a yeah. long time, yeah. it's, it could sound like we are going back and... All right, let's tell, let's rephrase everything. That exactly. Our rephrase it. Correct it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to do that for sure. There are times um, that we may offer uh, other, other opinions or other yeah, options sure. or whatever, for sure. But honestly, with our last few guests, I don't know that there's been a lot of need for that because yeah. they're, they are all people who, to the degree they have faced deconstruction, they have also pretty faithfully been engaged in reconstruction. Right. And so um, I hope those are still encouraging and for people who are out there and, and we're intentionally trying to find people who have different types of stories. Part of it's a little bit of a research project for us going, yeah. what, what, what does it look like? What's common? And it, mm-hmm. I do, I'm, I am certainly encouraged by the fact that the need to, or that the experience of doubting, facing challenges, whatever it's, I think, I think it's pretty universal. And yeah. I think that shows us at least one part of this conversation is really good. Yeah. That's, we, we all do this. And I mean, if, if anyone knows someone who is open to talking about their deconstruction story and they're still in the midst of it, they haven't sure. come to any conclusions yet. And they're willing to do that and, and understand that we would just be wanting to learn from them, not right. grill them with questions um, yeah, just send us an email and let us know because okay. we would be interested. That's actually another point, I think, to, but on your first com- comment that you made that is worth noting. Part of why we want to be able to talk about the conversations afterwards to debrief them or to review them or whatever mm-hmm. is so that we're not sitting in the conversation pestering the person or even arguing with the person, yeah. depending on who they are, is that we, we want to be able to let them speak what they what they want to speak need to speak and uh, you know it's it feels like either way could be a negative yeah either in the moment you know going toe to toe with somebody but at the same and, and it doesn't mean we won't ask hard questions yeah. or answer hard questions if they're asked but 
at the same time, it if at least at us and for us at this point, it felt more respectful. And we kind of started doing this way back when with David. David, yeah. As was we want to give him the time. And he was also very limited. It was like Christmas Eve or something. It wasn't, but it was somewhere near there. Yeah. <laughs> and he we we had a very limited window. And I remember Chris and I saying, like, us talking a lot here is not a good use of the three yeah. or four hours that we have. So let's let David talk. We'll ask questions. We'll clarify. We'll push back and we'll accept pushback. But then we'll spend several episodes unpacking kind of the stuff he said. Yeah, and Which is where that started. We, we, we mean that to be respectful mm-hmm. to anybody, including David, but yeah. um, for any of us. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, so the three that we're going to attempt to discuss today are the three that, that have dropped since we've kind of done a recap. And that's August. <laughs> Dan Ray and then Anna Birch. And there's some really cool overlap between these three. So we just kind of want to go through and we may jump around a little bit, but I thought we'd start with August and then we can kind of work our way through just what nice. stood out to us. If that sounds good, Chris. Okay. That sounds great. I'd love it. Um, so there's a couple, <laughs> there's a lot of things that stood out. I think I was trying to listen from the perspective of he covered so many things that that we have touched on before, which I think is always cool when, and some of our guests listen to our podcast, but often they haven't followed the whole time. And so it's not, it is really neat to me when someone comes on and starts talking about themes that we discuss all the time and they don't know it because it's reassuring and it's reaffirming of, okay, I think this, that happened with August and Dan, they covered topics and said, even said things that we've said before and they weren't aware of it at the time, which is really was encouraging to me. But I think I also try to listen through them and think through what are topics that maybe we haven't touched on as much. So a couple from August that stood out to me was, and we've touched on them some, but I think how to face disappointment when it comes to Christianity is, was a theme that was really impactful of, of how to face when, when you're disappointed by um, something in life, which we have talked about, but, but with the perspective of when your religious zeal turns into discouragement, skepticism, or disenchantment. Hmm. So when you are passionate about your faith, you're convinced of your faith. And then one of the the quotes that he said was something I may be paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, is this belief system worth believing, even if it's not applied in Christian communities or the ministry I'm a part of, or even not taking the fruition inside myself that I'm wanting it to. Yeah. And so I, that stood <clears throat> out to me as something that what, okay, what happens when your religious zeal turns into discouragement or skepticism because of, of that? Yeah. So what do you do with that? <laughs> cause, um, cause here's my thing. I would say, I guess I don't want to make an assumption, but I will make it anyway. My assumption is we all experience that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't know what the right word is, special as in, I, I've, I've said a lot of it's times. an isolated experience. Yeah, God, God won't fail you, but he will disappoint you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say that and some people get frustrated because they think I'm saying God has somehow failed when I say disappoint. And mm-hmm. I, I don't mean that. Disappoint's an emotional state. So. Yeah. My, my, my friends, my wife, my coworkers, my whatever can disappoint me. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It just mm-hmm. means I'm disappointed. Yeah. And so <clears throat> certainly there's a lot of times that I ask God for things or want something from God or from God's people mm-hmm. and they fail to deliver. And that, 
I think that's kind of the definition of disappointment. Yeah. And is he worth following or are they worth being in community with? If everybody's going to be big disappointment. So, mm-hmm. okay. So where do you go with that? Well, so we may jump around a little bit because of the overlap. So that yeah. was a question that even Anna asked that she, that I thought was really insightful of you have to come to a point where part of your deconstruction story needs to be asking yourself if God doesn't answer this the way I want him to, or ask him to, is he still worth trusting? Yeah. And And I do think that's a question we all have to ask ourselves, but I don't think it's put to the test until we have that thing Mm -hmm. that we can say, yes, God's trustworthy. But until, until we're having to live that out and actually trust him in something that is making us angry or sad or whatever it is, I don't think it's put to the test, you know, if we actually are trusting him in that. But I think it's a question. I think that is a key deconstruction question that we all have to ask and is helpful if we ask before the crisis happens, but sometimes we don't. Yeah. Um, and so, but two parts come to mind when it comes to August quote, I think one we've talked about before when it comes to deconstructing our opinion and our hope in man and our hope in ourselves. And so I think that's key. But then the question I was going to ask you is what does it look like? like from a pastoral or psychological standpoint mm-hmm. when our faith is tested because we have faith, but the sanctification process in us is taking longer than we had hoped, or we have that <laughs> thing that we're struggling with and we can't seem to kick it. You can't kick it. Um, because I think that was some of what he talked about of, I love the Lord. I believe scripture. I'm willing to fight for truth. But sometimes you go through those seasons where it's like, why is this still like, is God real if this thing is still plaguing me? Kind of what do we do with that? Because I think that is another type of deconstruction that we've talked about some. Yeah. But what if it's my my belief in God is real, but it's being tested by the fact that he's not acting in my life as yeah. quickly or. That's really intriguing. I have, I have a friend right now who's doing work, really, really his own, I guess, therapeutic and spiritual work right now on he he is attracted to men mm-hmm. and and part of his deconstruction question is if, if God is real and loves me and doesn't want me to act on this desire why do I still have this desire yeah and and I feel like I mean I just it's my intuition it's my quick response to think that's because I mean we're we are all messed up human beings. Like we yeah. all have desires that war against us Yeah, that, that would war against what's best. I mean, one of the most consistent things in my life, and I mean, I've never thought about it this way, but my introduction to pornography, as I've, I've said before, was around age five, five mm-hmm. or six. Well, I'm 51. So that means for at least 46 years, pornography has been a part of my life, sometimes more, sometimes less, but it's never not an issue completely. Like yeah. it's never something that I, I don't have to wrestle with or face or struggle or mm-hmm. be tempted by. And in a world that's only become more pornographic as I've gotten older, I mean, there was a day when, you know, it meant sneaking a, some kid in the neighborhood, sneaking his dad's Playboy magazine. Yeah. And now we're all carrying all pornography of all kinds around with us everywhere we go. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not like, so it's not like that's faded into yeah. the, you know, yeah. into the distant past or something. And so, 
yeah, why hasn't God cured me of that of those sinful desires, especially if he you know doesn't want me to have them if he doesn't yeah. want me to be tempted by that and and that's a that again, I guess that does fall into a question of trust like i I trust that he has sufficient sufficient reason not to or not sufficient reason to remove that mm-hmm. and i just I just think that's the nature of being human is that we're all going to have desires that are not right because we have freedom, yeah. one, and because we're flawed, mm-hmm. two. But it it really, that whole disappointment question, that's really good. And even, you know, Dan talked about even, you know, if at some point in the future he deconstructs his faith, he's saying right here and now on yeah. the podcast, it will be an emotive thing. Yeah. It will be because he's disappointed. Yeah. It'll be because he's he's annoyed at God about something or is not is unhappy about how God is doing something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and I um that's an interesting that that'd be worth us spending some more time to unpack. How do we do that? I can only I feel like I'm only answering for me right yeah. now. Like yeah. and I don't know how to answer for other people. Yeah. How they handle is are there universals beyond just well how do you handle other things when your husband disappoints you yeah what do you do um when they let you down mm-hmm. what do you do when you have a a desire for them that they don't respect or fulfill what do you do yeah and i think so the overlap between august and anna and and maybe dan too if i'm remembering correctly but asking even the question that stood out to me of if i'm disappointed in something that's good like not just yeah. something God doesn't or I've, I've asked him for, but yeah. something that he has called us to such as sanctification or someone else's salvation to pray for right. those things. So yes. Anna praying for her brother's salvation and saying, even if God doesn't answer this, can I trust him? Golly. And that's, that stood <laughs> out to me as a whole different <laughs> level of trust and potential for deconstruction because it's something that's good that we're hoping in. Um, a certain that God will sanctify us through a certain struggle or whatever it is that I, that really impacted me. I was, I thought about Hmm. that for a long time. Maybe for people who are deconstructing and not sure what to do with that, they feel very alone in some of those feelings, Mm -hmm. but you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't think that people are alone in those feelings and I actually go so far as say, I think it is universal. I think there are, there are things very disappointing to me about, human existence. Yeah. <clears throat> there are things very disappointing to me about uh, the nature, especially as a therapist, I mean, the nature of trauma and and why certain traumas are allowed and abuses are allowed. And I'm disappointed by all of those. So what do I do with that? Yeah. And, and part of it is I am counting on someone to make those matter. Mm-hmm. I'm counting on someone to, to someday assign meaning to those. Yeah. And I, I really am, I don't have any hope for anyone to assign meaning to those except God, some type of God. Because mm-hmm. I am now, I'm completely convinced at this point that humans can't. Right. And so either they have no meaning. Yeah. Or God is the only one who can assign meaning. And so. Mm-hmm. And then we have to wrestle with the fact that he is allowing them, but right. will assign meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't giving me the meaning now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he, sometimes he does. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's crazy sometimes when you actually get to see the meaning behind something. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how often it is a person who has faced the trauma that mm-hmm. they're able to find and assign meaning. Yeah. Sometimes it's the people on the outside who it's like it's for their sake can't assign yeah. meaning. But 
um, which is always more powerful psychologically when we're fighting somebody else's battle rather than our own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a, um, whether it is, and maybe that goes back to our, is, you know, is the Bible immoral by today's standards is I'm, I'm disappointed with the Bible stance on something. Yeah. I'm disappointing with God's viewpoint on something. And either I need to give up on God as a person who gets to have an opinion on this mm-hmm. or, um, or I'm going to have changed my opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is the quandary so many times, isn't it? That mm-hmm. really is what it comes down to. Yeah. But I, I think I also was struck by how much of this is what gospel we are teaching to others and churches and ministries, mm. because a lot of this, even August talked about placing hope in good things that will disappoint <laughs> you. And so as a, bigger big C church are yep. we teaching that good things are our hope if they're not God and so wow. whether it's marriage or having kids or having success in ministry whatever it is are we teaching that those things are our satisfaction are our fulfillment because we are setting others up to deconstruct not that those things aren't good not that those things aren't raised in scripture, but if we're presenting those as a type of gospel instead of Jesus, then we're setting people up to deconstruct when those things either don't happen or do and are filled with disappointment. Hmm. So that also stood out to me when he said, we're often placing hope in things that will disappoint us, even if they're good things, but they're not God. It's reminding me a little bit of the conversation back with Mark when he's talking about the the whole, you know, that the funniest moment in that one, when Mark was throughout that you know this argument against the the evolutionary argument against naturalism yeah and then he sits there in silence and we're all like and he goes oh did you want me to explain that like well yes you can't just throw that out there but it is it is intriguing that's why mark you know mark's kind of thesis there or mantra was the best idea wins or the truth wins is is that we still even if we say okay i'm throwing out this answer we're still not done yeah. You, you still got other questions then to answer. And so I just, I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by, again, the decision for some people to deconstruct without trying to build anything. Yeah. And just going through like, okay, we're good. And I think one of the things that we've done with the people who we've interviewed with is uncovered that they're all people <clears throat> who seem to be still wrestling with new ideas and how to integrate them. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've moved us away from, moved us away from the question that you no, asked. That's okay. <laughs> it was more commenting on, are we teaching a gospel that is placing hope in something other than Jesus? Yes. <clears throat> um, including our but, own understanding. Right. Which I know that that seems counter. I don't know if counter cultural is even the right word. Just, just a uh, counter, <laughs> counter anything. Like it's yeah. a, it doesn't make sense to people to say, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to trust my own thinking. Well, how do I think about it? Yeah. <laughs> and I would say dubiously yeah. uh, that, that with, with a certain skepticism, but we all, I mean, I, I think any, any sane human has to be skeptical of their own thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've all learned and changed our thinking. We yeah. all know we're wrong about something. We just don't know what it is right now. Yeah. I heard, a, I heard a pastor, by the way, a pastor or an apologist, I think actually it was in a debate, um, unpack that idea and I felt like saying, oh, we, we did that. We already did that yeah. on the podcast. Like that is a vital concept. And they were all like the whole room full of people were blown away by 
this guy saying, you know, why do we come at this humbly? Why do, why do we come at our, even our conclusions and our convictions humbly? Mm-hmm. Well, are you, are you wrong about anything? Yeah. And the whole room is like, yes. And he goes, what is it? Well, I don't, I don't know or I would change it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we come at all of these things humbly. Um, even when we're certain or convinced or convicted, we still come at it humbly because we know I am capable of being completely wrong about things about which I am totally sure. Right. And that just sets the whole tone, I feel like. Right. Which, I mean, Dan talked about that when he yes. talked about, okay, so you're saying you absolutely know there is not an omniscient being, I think, or something yes, like yes. that. Yes, yes. He talked about omniscience. And yes. The traits of God. So that means that you are omniscient and therefore know that yeah. there's no way there's an <laughs> yes. omniscient being. <laughs> that circle works both ways. The, the old uh, color in all you know, here's a circle, color in all you know. It represents all the knowledge of the universe. Now color in what you know. And of course, only the most arrogant, you know, whatever would <laughs> color in more than just a dot. Like yeah. everyone puts just a dot and then they're like, oh, well, then how do you know there is a God? And like, okay, that that circle works both ways, yeah. though. So you you have the same level of certainty that there isn't. Or that there isn't proper evidence for it. Or that's what I loved. Dan's whole conversation is always to go back further. Back, 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 back. Okay, what do you mean by God? Yeah. Like, okay, describe that God. I loved that we had debated that before with each other. Well, the God the God who you're introducing me to, I don't believe in either. Mm-hmm. That's the gospel you're talking about. The good news you've been presented with is not really good news. Right. If it is somehow based on our performance or our abilities, like that's, that's not good. All you have to do is know humans to know that is not good news. Yeah. <laughs> if humanism is the best we've got, yeah. study some human history, look around just recent human history. It's yeah. not like you had to go back to the dark ages to find horrible evil. Yeah. It's not that we've gotten better. Right. So sex trafficking is still a thing. It's 2023 and sex trafficking happens and maybe thousands and thousands of children are trafficked around the world constantly all the time yeah so that's the race that you're going to put your trust in yeah i just yeah. yeah cut that out which that goes to another point that i really loved that august and dan both talked about heroes of the faith yeah. i don't know if you noticed that and i love that because they both talked about how i think august talked about mm. how all the here quote-unquote heroes of the faith are presented very honestly in scripture about their flaws right and they're presented very realistically. And so <clears throat> why should we think that if we're struggling or having doubt that somehow we're the exception it's or that we're we're not welcome to the table? Right. It's, it's been a trend that scripture yes. is very honest about. And then Dan talked about how that's also an encouraging factor right. of... He he started quoting basically low anthropology. That's right. Without and even with that knowing, knowing David's all, I, I was, was yeah, awesome. that was classic. <laughs> but just saying how if we, I think I had his quote. Let me see. He talked about how if you have a high view of yourself, you're going to be much less patient with others. <laughs> right. And how if you look at scripture, <laughs> look at the quote unquote heroes of the faith, and then even look internally and are honest with yourself, and just have an accurate view of of humanity, even. In Christ, how we are still broken, right. it gives us so much more patience for other people and gives us space to admit when we're broken and weak, because that was a thing that Dan talked about a lot and in August. It's crazy talking about just being honest with what you're struggling or the thing that you're struggling with and how that can be encouraging and empowering to other people, because often what happens in Christian culture is we are presented by this view that we all have it together and therefore none right. of us feel like we can be honest and we're all struggling. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. 
that would be how freeing it is when you do realize how jacked up you are. And I know that's scary to a lot of people, but for me, it was 100% freeing when I recognized, recognized oh, wait, I, I don't, I'm not speaking from the moral high ground because of me. Yeah. I, I don't have any moral high ground. And so uh, from me, based on me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, if I have moral high ground, it's because there's some kind of morality has the moral high ground. Yeah. Not, not me. I don't bring it any advantages. Yeah. And that the freedom in that to be able to be open and honest and, and discuss things and to ask hard questions. Yeah. And I've been, I've been really intrigued. I was warned as a pastor that you can't unpack those things publicly because you'll freak everybody out. <laughs> And that's so and sad. I have not found that to be the case. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's true in other places, but I, I've said from the pulpit several times, I don't like this passage. I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't understand how to interpret this. Like every way I interpret this feels bad. Yeah. And, and, or, or I don't understand. I, I've said things as foundational as like, I don't understand how prayer works. I don't understand why it works. The, the, the mechanics of prayer makes no sense to me. Yeah. Why am I talking to an all knowing God who already chose the future and yet I'm asking him to change something about that future. And and yes, okay, so he knew I was going to pray before he chose the future. So maybe he took that into effect back. But, <laughs> but it's like, what? I mean, what? And yet I still do it. I still pray. Yeah. And I'm not a nonsensical, delusional person. I'm just, I'm willing to trust in things I don't understand sometimes. Yeah. Because, but what I found is, I don't, I mean, maybe people have left our church and said, I can't be under a pastor like that. But if they have, they haven't told me. Yeah. And maybe it's like they're freaked out by it because they're not used to it, but not in a way that is is offensive or even right. discouraging. It's just shocking because sadly, it's not the case in a lot of churches. That's right. It would be, uh, we were talking last night, Ginger and I were talking about the fact that she was talking about some pastors who she likes their quotes, but she now knows they're like fallen. Yeah. And she's like, gosh, but they said such cool things. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so yes. And, and the early church decided that that truth had to be evaluated based on its truth value, not on its not on the value of the person who spoke it. Yeah. Um, not that the person is insignificant, but the person is insignificant at determining the truth. Right. If that makes sense. Um, however, uh, I said, imagine we're going through First Samuel right now. Imagine what we would do today with the Psalms. Yeah. So if we had a guy. Who wrote all these brilliant poetry? Wrote all this brilliant poetry, the best worship songs that are out there, everything. And then it came out that he had a man murdered, slept actually slept with his wife, had him murdered, um, created a conspiracy at the government le- at the highest levels of government authority. Like we would go, well, okay, we need to stop singing his songs then. Yeah. <laughs> and and so well, I'm not sure that that's. In fact, I I feel confident that is not sound. Mm. Um. Yeah. Do we need to go back and reevaluate? Everything the guy wrote, sure, absolutely. But if it's still accurate and true and right, it's yeah. still accurate and true and right. Anyway, I just... I mean, the yeah. New Testament talks about even hypocrites preaching the gospel, of preaching for their own mm-hmm. fame instead of actually the gospel, but the gospel is being preached by them Yep. and truth is being spread. And like yep. you're saying, we do have to evaluate that it's truth, but... Right. Yeah, that's 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 hard. It's, uh, it's humbling is what it is, and it should yeah. be. And well, we don't get many, like you said, we don't get many personal heroes. So let's do both personal heroes, church heroes, family heroes, because mm-hmm. we've heard about that from everybody, or faith heroes who stand the test of time. Yeah. None of them, if we knew them well enough, would. Yeah. Not one. 
Christ is the only one, and he would still disappoint us. He just would not actually fail. Right. But if if you say like my my dad is my hero, he's awesome. Yes, that's good, and I'm glad your dad is your hero. If you knew him well enough, though, you would also know he can be pretty he's horrible. Fallen, yeah. <clears throat> and and that's true of all of us. Anyone that we don't know what it is that is so deeply disappointing to us about them, that just means we don't know them well. Yeah. Um, so that's, that was a quote I loved from Dan. He said something to the effect of we have to be bled and drained of the swamp of self-sufficiency. What a thing for Dan so... to say. That sounds like David or Dan. David Zoll or Dan would say something that it poetic. It was such a poetic, it was kind of a grotesque, but pro- poetic way of describing it. But it's the swamp of self-sufficiency is something I think I'm going to say okay. often. I think I'm posting it on my Facebook right now. <laughs> say it again. Say it again. Well, I probably should go back and make sure I'm quoting him correctly I'm sure you're before very close. you post it. That's right. We have to be bled and drained of the swamp of self-sufficiency. All that to say, Anna even talked about that. She talked about just the difficulty of of us presenting as a Christian culture that you can somehow arrive. And therefore, if you're at a certain level, you can't struggle. Because she talked about when she's had doubts, it's hard to admit to others that she's having doubts or struggles because we often have that view of, okay, now I've been Christian long enough or whatever it is. And I, I shouldn't be struggling with this. Yes. And, and it all kind of ties together of, well, but when we're honest and even she (laughs) talked about when I go to my mentors that are my heroes of the faith and they're honest about their life and their struggles, it gives me freedom and it, reaffirms my trust in the Lord because they're honest that he is still faithful even when they've struggled and they've doubted and how it has an exponential effect. So I think that's, there's so many things that I've been processing in Christian community that are contagious in a way Mm. of the, I think hospitality is one of those, but when, because that's one of our pillars, but when it comes to this concept of vulnerability, I think is also contagious because the more we pretend that we have it together, the more that those around us feel like they have to do the same. Yeah. And the more honest we are about how we've struggled or what's, what has been going on what it's really like to follow the Lord, the more that spreads to others that they have the freedom to do that. Yep. And that's another thing that, that really stood out to me. I don't know if there's anything else that stood out, but moving on to, there's so many good things that these three both have talked about, but yes. one of the things that Anna talked about at the end, that was another great quote was talking about how long-term prayer for someone is a marathon. And I, that was, that was just such a good word picture to me of how often in our laziness or our fatigue, we don't faithfully pray for those around us that are that we don't pray for those around us faithfully, but also those who are deconstructing. Sometimes it takes so long and so many years. And even Dan talked about those that he's working with in a cult takes seven, what do you say? Seven to eight years often from the time they start talking to them, considering the gospel. And Anna was just saying that praying for someone is a marathon. And we often don't, we're not in it for the long haul because we're weak and we, <laughs> yes, exactly and we're lazy right. and, and we're not faithful to pray for others because we're like, if God doesn't answer this in a year, we assume it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's a, you know, we've learned that we, to quote that one, we, and we've got the, the email that we're going to go over in one of our upcoming soon that she, both of those, I think you're on both of those that 
I think it's a, if I remember correctly, it's a young lady who talked about, I've been praying for my parents, trying mm-hmm. to be an example to them now for a period of time and it's not working. So apparently mm-hmm. there's no point. Right. Um, and so there were several things that we, that we've talked about that are, that are, that she has, I mean, she's got a lot of courage and the way she's communicating with us. We really appreciate. I think, uh, I think one of the things that we're seeing is the same thing. I, I replied to her as well that, that, that my, my wife, so my grandmother-in-law, mm-hmm. um, the family had been praying for her for probably 50 or 60 years. I mean, she, and she was very much so rigid in her thinking and mm-hmm. she saw all these wonderful things going on around her. We actually have the most adorable picture of her sitting. So Mark, when Mark was seven, no, he's probably more like five, five or six. And he had just learned to read mm-hmm. and he loved her. He thought she was awesome. And he wanted to read John three out loud to her. <clears throat> so we've got this picture of he and Ellie sitting next to her on the, on our front porch. And grandmother is holding, the grandmother's holding a, a Bible. Mm-hmm. Mark's got his Bible open as about a five-year-old sitting next to her. And Ellie has her little kid Bible open next to her upside down. <laughs> and and Ellie's like four. Yeah. And so she's just tiny. And they're reading John out loud to her. And you're like, okay, I, I would at least fake it at that point. Like yeah. I would like, and, and she was not, she was like, that was very sweet. I really appreciate it and all that. She was very, but, but then, I mean, within weeks before she died, she suddenly just said, okay, I want to, I want to learn all about this. I want to wow. know all about it. I want to fully understand it. And I don't know if she knew that her time was running out. Like, I don't know what happened there, but, Man. and she asked for a pastor to come talk with her who she had never invited the conversation. Yeah. And, and in that moment said, you know, I've had all these great examples of this, you know, for decades and i I've realized it's time. It's time for me to, like, we prayed nightly for her in our marriage for probably 20 years. Mm. Um, And so it's just, I I would say, yeah, it's, and and it's like parenting. You never know when a kid is finally going to get something. That's true for all of us. At what point does suddenly something make sense? I mean, my whole life has been that way. Yeah. Where it's like stacking, you know, coins on a scales on a set of scales and you never know how much weight is on the other half of the scales. Yeah. And when is the coin going to be finally the one that, yeah. that tips the scale for someone? Um, and that's not our decision. Yeah. And, and we're we such know. short, short term. I mean, our <laughs> attention spans are so. Yes. Too soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our attention spans are so uh, short and divided and distracted. And, and our, I mentioned this with Anna, but our culture just feeds that so much of yes. instant gratification that that carries over into our prayer life and our wrestling in prayer for others yes. and our patience in that or ourselves are wrestling in prayer for ourselves. And that was really convicting. I mean, Mason had a similar thing where he had a great aunt, if I'm remembering this correctly, who he'd only met once or twice, but she knew he existed and her family Mm. had kind of, they were like godly people, but that part of his ancestors had just kind of split off and not lived for the Lord. And yet she had been praying for his salvation and he had grown up in a family that weren't believers and a lot of things. And that grandma, great grandma had been praying for them and he meets her like as an adult and she's, I think it's her hundredth birthday party. Wow. And she had been, she told him she had been praying for him and he had never known that and had been saved for many years at that point. Um, yep. And it's just crazy. But anyway, that was really convicting to me. 
Anyway. Yeah, we don't we don't have to give up because it's not about us. Yeah. And so we get to We keep, want it to be We somehow. want it to be about yeah. us somehow and so we think, "Oh, I'm failing or God's failing when yeah. we our our I feel like that's taking the same attitude as a lot of the narcissistic men client I have when they mm. are like, "Listen, I was nice to my wife for a week and it's not working." Mhm. <laughs> like, okay, how do you define success? Cuz it seems seems to me like it's if you're being nice to your wife, that's working. Yeah. And so you know, I'm praying to God and I'm asking for him to to do this thing and it's not happening. It's not working. Like, yeah. well, unless unless the main goal is to have an intimate relationship with God and talk to him openly, in which case it's working really well. Yeah. Um, if if the measure of success of an intimate relationship is behavioral modification on the other person's part, you have a more deeper concern here. Yeah. But I feel like that's part of this is we we want a solution mm-hmm. and we have a solution in mind. And we're convinced it's the right solution. Yeah. And we've got the, and, and solution apply that to everything. Mm-hmm. Like that, that the timetable and the degree and the process and the person and the, yeah. And that's, that's not healthy. The other thing I wanted to highlight that Dan said, talking about the cult of the heart that I thought was so insightful talking about, and we've talked about that before, but just the phrase of we create cults of the heart when we create a Christian, a version of Christianity that's after ourselves. Yes. And a version of, well, yes, I want God to do this. And then he has to do this for me for it to be success. And I interact with him expecting all of these things that are built around us and not actually scripture and the, the character of God. Yes. And just him talking about that being what he claims was a cult of his heart um, that caused a lot of his deconstruction of having to face that the tyrant that he'd created in his yes. heart. Man. Which was so good. Yep. We're we're not trustworthy slave owners, even of ourselves. Yeah. So but anyway. I, I I think it's fascinating that once again, although there were some different patterns this time, um, I hope it's helpful for people who are facing this to recognize, yeah, you're it should be no surprise when our current faith leaders sometimes fall mm-hmm. or when they always disappoint. Mm-hmm. Because that's not like that's a that should not be a surprise to anyone who's read the Bible mm-hmm. um, or who knows humans. And so that I've always thought that's a, that is not a sufficient reason to deconstruct yeah. faith is the failure of another human. I think it's understandable, but it's, it's understandable not, that you would want to. Yeah. 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 Um, that what that reveals is apparently you built, we built something on another person Yeah, and we are not stable and We're I, shifting sands. But when it comes to us, I think we do, it is, uh, convicting to realize whatever, yes, we seek to be like the Lord, to be like him and to be like God and to, to be sanctified, but also our actions do affect other people. That's right. And so whether or not they should, it could cause deconstruction in others if we are living a hypocritical life or somehow, <clears throat> you know, yep. anyway, very good. Great content of and thank all you three to, of these. Yes. Thank you to yeah. all our guests so far. Yeah. And don't hesitate to, again, to reach out if you're someone who is at any stage in this process. And we'd love to evaluate whether or not you'd be a good person to have for us to have a conversation with on the on the podcast itself. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, 
trust God, search for answers.